Now, as a way to answer kind of the why, I actually want to begin with our highlight video from Serve Week. And so we wrapped this up uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the reason why isn't so that we can be like, oh, wow, we did a lot of good things, right? I think we've, we've kind of spoken into that and the numbers and all that. Um, but two, two reasons. Number one, most of you probably only served at one project. So this is an opportunity to kind of see, oh, wow, here's some of the rest of the church family, where they were and how they did that work. And then the second reason, I'll allude to this as soon as the video's over, as to why we even have the opportunity to do something like that, but even more so go beyond just a serve week, an isolated opportunity. So check out the serve video. I woke up this morning saw a world full of trouble now I thought how do we ever get so far down and how's it ever gonna turn around so I turned my eyes to heaven I thought God why don't you do something well I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty and children sold into slavery the thought disgusted me so I shook my fist at heaven I said God why don't you do something me 
Love it. A lot of highlights, a lot of needs met. Thank you to all the, those of you that decided to serve and take that time. Thank you to Jenny, to her team that just mobilized, you know, well in advance, right? It's a lot of organization that goes into play and able to, again, meet a lot of needs. But the goal is not to watch that and be like, wow, that was great. Can't wait till next year. The goal is to establish a regular rhythm of serving in all of our lives, right? That's why we create margin. And so the best next step, don't want to miss this today. The best next step for some of you, if you're not currently in that regular rhythm, is uh, stepping into our early childhood or elementary ministry. Now, we, you know, we don't need to spend any more time trying to convince the rest of us, like, that age group is important, right? Now, that's not no, like, oh, yeah, sign me up for that, right? Anything kids, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I need a break from that uh, on the weekends. But this is currently happening right now. And so it's called a Say Yes campaign. It's, if you go into the lobby uh, at the bottom of the steps that lead up to the elementary area, they have an area set up there where you can get more information. Or if you don't have time to do that, just write kids on your bulletin tear-off if you just want to get more information. And so the goal is to engage, to invest in regular rhythms of serving. And so this requires, and so when we do things like this, and when you decide to add these regular rhythms, uh, you're adding something, right? And most of us aren't looking to add to what we already have going on because we don't have the margin that, that is in place there. And so we have to establish, prioritize, say no to certain things so that we can say yes to all of the right things. So we've lived in a culture for a long time now where if someone asks you, how are you doing? The a common answer is, I'll oh, just busy, 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 right? There's not enough, not enough hours in the day, right? I just don't have enough time. And we kind of wear that as like a badge of honor. Because it, it would be awkward if someone said, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And you said, nothing. We've intentionally planned to do nothing. Like, oh, wow, it doesn't sound like you're real productive in life. Doesn't sound like you're making the most of your opportunity to get things done. See, our culture at large, I think, suffers from what could be called Friday night syndrome. Friday night syndrome is this condition that all too often we can have if we're sitting at home on a Friday night assuming that the rest of the world is doing something exciting with their life. And so we become perpetually restless and we're exhausted and we assume that we have to do something in order to make something of our lives. And so we live under the assumption that the rest of the world is doing a lot of things that matter when the reality is we're just busying ourselves to death. Now, in fact, younger folks have uh, different phrases for this kind of mentality, one of which is FOMO. You're like, is that an actual word? No, but it stands for, F-O-M-O, stands for fear of missing out. Yeah, it's a real condition these days. This is, this is the world we live in, a condition called FOMO. This everyday living where you have the fear of missing out, right? This is why social media can be a dangerous thing. You, look, you, you, you log on to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and we, you immediately see everybody else's highlight reel. Oh, wow, they have exciting lives. No, they're just posting the most exciting part about their day or their week or their life, right? But it leads us, it frames our perspective and like, wow, I'm really missing out. I got to get myself together. I can't just sit home on a Friday night. So we have other acrostics out there such as YOLO. You, yeah, it's a real thing. You only live once. Wow, life is short. I have to do all that I can while I can. I better get busy living, right? And so we believe that being active, doing as much as we possibly can leads to a significant life. And we disregard the proper pacing, the proper rhythm that we must have if we're going to live life to the full. Because life, the fullness of life, according to God, is not going fast. It's not being busy. It's not just getting to the end and looking back and saying, wow, I did a lot of fun things. I had a lot of memories. I don't remember a whole lot of them because it was blurry. 
But the proper rhythm that God would have in mind for us is very clear you know, through the person of Jesus and all throughout Scripture. And so as we are on this essentially, essentially search for significance is what it really is at its base, we want to be somebody, especially at that young adult stage of life, we need to understand that as we're trying to build a significant life, who actually should be doing the building if it's, if it's going to matter at all? And so we see this very clearly in the book of Psalm, chapter 127. If God does not build the house, the builders only build shacks. If God does not guard the city, the night watchmen might as well nap. If God's not in it, what's the point? It goes on. It's useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Right? So people say something like I'm burning the midnight oil. Right? You know, oh, it would be nice to work 40 hours a week, right? 80 hour weeks. You know, at work is your norm. You're like, all right, I gotta, if I don't show up, you know, the whole world around me is gonna crumble. Last part of Psalm 127, verse two. Don't you know God enjoys giving rest to those he loves? God enjoys giving rest to those he loves. He's speaking specifically to this idea of Sabbath, which refers to God's commandment to rest. And this commandment is a gift for us to stop on purpose and to rest in God and recognize who actually is God in our lives. So it's a gift from God that enables us to live by faith. Here's what's interesting about this conversation. Perspective comes with age. And I feel like I'm kind of in that middle point, like I'm not young, but I'm not older yet. And so I'm really kind of, you know, kind of both feet in, in each areas and having these conversations with kind of millennials and, and retirees at the same time. And so older people get this more than anybody else. The perspective comes with age. And so retirees, would, they, they're gonna laugh at this conversation that we're having today. Because they look at the rest of us who kind of believe that boredom is the great enemy. Like, oh man, if I'm bored, like that's worst case scenario in life. Like that's a hilarious perspective and conversation for, for older people. See, here's why. During the young adult stage of life, we usually look out into the world from kind of a consumer mindset. We search out new experiences, right? We love adventure, we love travel, we want anything and everything new. We look to expand our social connections Right, and so younger people, right, the younger you are, the more pride you kind of take in, how many followers you have on Instagram or Twitter, how many, how many friends you have on Facebook, how many likes you get on comments, like, oh, wow, that's directly connected to my significance, right? The younger you are, that's probably the case. We look to kind of make our mark on the world. We want to be somebody. We're on the search for significance. But when people reach the latter half of adulthood, kind of moving toward retirement age, their priorities change dramatically, most reduce the amount of time and effort they spend pursuing achievement in social works, social networks. They just reduce that time. They kind of narrow in, right? They're establishing, well, time is obviously short. I'm pressed in. I feel that now. And so they naturally narrow in. Several years ago, I read a book. Uh, it's called Being Mortal, M-O-R-T-A-L, by Atul Gawande. He's a neurosurgeon. A profound book. Anybody in the medical field should read this book. It's extremely helpful. But he has interesting perspectives regarding uh, this older age mindset. Here's what he says. He says, given the choice, young people prefer meeting new people to spending time with, say, a sibling. Older people prefer the opposite. Studies find that as people grow older, they interact with fewer people and concentrate on spending time with family and established friends. I love this. He says they focus on being rather than doing and on the present more than the future. They're able to live in the moment. See, the reality is most older people actually become happier and more stable as they age. 
Pause for a second, because younger people, they're like, oh, man, right? They imagine their grandparents, like, oh, I never want to get old, right? I just can't imagine not being able to do all the things that I want to do. And older people laugh at that perspective because they understand the reality of life in a fuller way and have a perspective that can only come with life experience. And so life actually becomes more stable as you age. You become less prone to anxiety, depression, and anger. The longevity of life brings wise perspective on really what's, what's most important. Gwandi, he, he goes on and states that the question then becomes, if we understand this, the question then becomes, here's what he says, if we shift as we age toward appreciating everyday pleasures and relationships rather than toward achieving, having, and getting, and if we find this more fulfilling, then why do we take so long to do it? Why do we wait until we're older? He says the common view was that these lessons are hard to learn. He said living is a kind of skill. The calm and wisdom of old age are achieved over time. See, we don't need to come to church to understand that we live in a world where status, achievement, prestige, those are the very things that are praised by the world around us. So we naturally, we chase those things, and oftentimes we even trample other people to get to that point, to climb the corporate ladder, to achieve all that we can achieve, to become somebody based on what we do. People clap and affirm us, we're like, I must be doing a good job at living life. But unfortunately, the consequence all too often is that we end up all alone on the top of essentially this meaningless mountain. We have our pile of stuff, we have our status, but really we don't have anything of value to hold on to long term. So as we're living, I think a better question to ask ourselves than what am I doing, instead ask the question, who am I becoming? As I'm living, who am I actually becoming? See, why, why am I living as if self-sufficiency is the ultimate aim? But I can stand on my own two feet. And people can look at me like, wow, you're strong, you're, you're special, you're significant because of what you've done. See, this is why scripture, we see that in scripture that Jesus and how he approached his everyday life, and he knew his life would be short. He knew his mission in life was not to live a long life, right, and to do as much as he possibly could do. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I see that, and I know Jesus. I know he's perfect, he's sinless, he's the savior of the world, and my first response is, well, there's no time for that. Don't you understand all that you could do? <laughs> like, can't you be more efficient? in your alone time, your, your, your prayer time with your father? Because, I mean, there's a lot. If you, Jesus, I don't know if your father's told you like how your life's going to end and it's going to be shorter than most other people, then you probably need to get busy doing ministry because there's no replacement for you. And so we have to pay attention to how Jesus himself spent his time. He often withdrew. And so his time with God, our time with God, represents constant surrender. My life is not my own. I'm not in charge of my life. I'm not running my life. See, how he lived was always rooted in who he belonged to. How he lived, how we live, must be rooted in ultimately who we understand that we belong to. Jesus' ministry on earth was short, but it was definitely not a sprint. It was not a sprint. He knew that to properly see the vision his father had for his life, he must slow down. So he withdrew often. So you think about it, if, if living is merely moving, going from one place to the next, but never reflecting, right, in the proper rhythm, we risk having this kind of zigzag life. Wow, covered a lot of ground, doing a lot of stuff, 
kind of living a zigzag life, getting a lot of things done, but lacking really this purposeful direction. It's, it's, it's so interesting, this kind of goes off to a whole other message, but how God made us different, all of us, because we spend so much of our time looking at somebody, like, I want to be like them, I want to live like them, and so we try to replicate their life, and God made us uniquely, and when we understand that, that we can see his vision for our life, which will always require slowing down and even stopping to spend time with him, so he can reveal our next steps and be the person he created us to be and go in a straight line, purposeful direction, the pathway that he's created for us. So let me be clear. Whether we care more about character over competence will be determined by how often we withdraw from the frenzy of life and make it our aim to do nothing but find God. We're creating, or we're making space, we're not creating, we're making space for nothing, for emptiness, for time with God. So let me say it again, because we're going to be inclined to care more about competence. We're going to be inclined to do something more than be some, somebody. When, whether we care more about character over confidence will be determined by how often we deliberately choose to withdraw from the frenzy of life and make it our aim to do nothing but find God. But we have to understand that true surrender always starts, always begins with stopping. And it's never convenient. There's always that next thing that we have to do or that we have to keep up or else we lose our sense of purpose, of value. We just have to get it done. The reality is we are always better after we've been with God. We're always better after we've been with God because continually finding our identity in him always leads to security, always leads to peace with who we are and where he has us. Like, it's okay. He's, a, he's that time, that space, whether it's your morning quiet time, whether it's the end of each day, whether it's an entire day of which we're commanded to rest for one day, it's called Sabbath a week, which is just crazy for the pace of life that some of us are on to imagine doing that, to pressing stop for an entire day. But we're reminded that God's with us and he's leading us. So here's the question. If you make that space, here's the question you'll face. Who am I if I'm not out there proving myself to the world? Who am I really? Am I defined by what I do, or am I defined by who I belong to? We'll be faced with that question. And so the Sabbath is a gift from God that comes with, with this message. You are not your performance. You are not your performance. You, as you are, are enough. God says so. Whether or not you believe that will be proven through your willingness to rest, to set aside time, to set aside a day, to do nothing but think about God and the fact that he is enough. Again, I love the perspective that we see in Scripture. Uh, you know, if you've been a part of the church world very long, you'd recognize the Scripture, and so I want to read it from the message translation, which I don't do as often, but I love the, the fresh perspective and the, the practical, um, you know, vision that we see. Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. Here it is. It says, if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? Right? That's why we're so inclined to doing because we believe that we have to keep our world up or else it will all fall apart. It's a lack of faith, a lack of trust. The author goes on. He says, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. That's what we see in Scripture. To get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. He says, people who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. We're commanded, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. He said, you'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. 
Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Easier said than done, right? But to be in the moment, to understand that God's got tomorrow. He's holding tomorrow in his hands. I don't have to figure it all out. What's God calling me to now? Well, first and foremost, it's to rest, to understand he's got this, he's got me. Because when we rest, we have proper perspective. But we'll never fall into it. Like, oh, I just all of a sudden found myself resting. Here I am. We have to make, deliberately make this time. We must choose it. It's this intentional stillness. It's deliberate inaction. <laughs> and it's something the world will never praise. Wow, you did a great job resting. Tell me more about all that you accomplished during that day of rest. You're never going to have that conversation, but it's one of the most spiritual things that we can do. You know, one author said one of the most spiritual things sometimes we can do is to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. So practical, yet so spiritual. So decide on a day where you will deliberately rest. You know, for Emily and I, it's, it's Saturday, right? Sunday's a day and, you know, a long day, and she uh, works Monday to Friday in teaching, and so Saturday's our day where we, we never plan anything on Saturday nights. Like yesterday, we had a six-hour birthing class, which that was exhausting, definitely not a day of rest in, in that regard. <laughs> but we have to be intentional about it. It'll just naturally fill up. Be like, well, you know, we need to do this, or somebody asked this, and so it will naturally, you know, fill itself up. And so you know your context. And many of you who have kids, you understand that to find the fullness of rest, you're going to have to eliminate, right, that's about to get extreme, right, for the middle schoolers, high schoolers in the room. You're going to have to require disconnection from social media, the phone. And you're like, well, just cross the line there. My kids will never go for that. Maybe to the point where you decide on a, on a weeknight, maybe it's the end of a day, you're not ready for a full day yet, but you say, you know what, we're going on a, on a walk. Like, you've never maybe said this to your family before. Your kids are like, oh, great. What book are they reading? What? <laughs> this is something new. Their tr family's trying out. Family time. Obviously, you're not taking You say, all right, whole family's going on a walk. Well, na the natural question, probably regardless of age, is where are we walking to? Where are we going? Well, your answer is nowhere. The purpose is to walk aimlessly, right? It's time together. And so the nature of that, you're not accomplishing anything. Yes, you're getting exercise, right? It has physical benefits, but, you know, we live in, unfortunately, I hate that this is even a conversation, right? That our default, you know, in trying to conquer boredom, the in-between moments, these blank spaces of life, is this phone that we're constantly attached to. I struggle with it all the time. Like, oh, nothing's going on. I'm sitting at a red light. Well, let's see what's going on on Twitter. You know, let's check, check Facebook real fast. It becomes our, our, our habitual inclination to busy our mind, and so our mind is always wired, our mind is always on. So what would it look like to deliberately choose to waste time by going on a walk? I would argue it's not wasting time because you're making margin, you're spending family time, but you're walking aimlessly and you, the, your success should be your kid responding to you with, this is boring. And you're like, that's awesome. I, would, I was hoping you would say that. Because <laughs> the goal was not to entertain you, to busy you, to even be productive. We're not even walking anywhere. We're just kind of wandering around the neighborhood, right? And everybody will probably end up, if we you know, make a habit of this, neighbors will probably start pointing. Well, there they go, just kind of back and forth, just wandering aimlessly. Maybe they must have lost their dog or something, right? It's probably a weird conversation to have. What are you guys doing? Oh, we're just wasting time walking as a family, right? Well, interesting. I have more questions, but... You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, and my wife and I, Emily, we love to travel, and that's fun, but a lot of times people think that our lives are more exciting than they are, and we're, we're both boring introverts, and the, the pinnacle of excitement for us is just going to a park and going for a walk and setting out a blanket and reading for, like, hours. 
And many of you are like, yeah, you're right, that is boring, but that's just what we like to do. We love it. And so if we have time, we have, we've created that space, you know, and the weather's good, that's going to be our natural go-to. We're locked in, and there's a lot of great parks, even across the river. We love to seek out new places. But I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the, the nature of parks uh, in general. Have you ever thought about, like, why we have parks? Like, they're, they're productivity eliminators. Like, nobody goes to a park to be pro- productive. You go to a park, I think, you can tell me if there's more to parks, but you go to either play or to rest. You don't go, like you're gonna achieve something, like if you're, you have sports going on, right, you're gonna win a game, you're gonna, but you go to either play or rest. You're not gonna really do much of anything productive in life. And so I love the, the natural invitation that exists around us already. Parks are the antithesis to productivity, and I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful opportunity. I think you'll agree that keeping up with the rest of the world is exhausting. It's exhausting. Maybe the one, one of the most spiritual things we can do this week is to embrace the boring. The boring that is found in stillness. Stillness presents the greatest opportunity to pay attention to God, to simply be with him. Psalm chapter 23, verses two and three. says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Isn't that interesting? He makes me. It goes on, it says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. All of us are looking for restoration. What's the prerequisite for finding it? following God, allowing him to make us lie down in green pastures, to lead us beside still waters. We notice who has to do the leading if we are to find still waters. You know, with Emily and I, you know, anticipating Levi Stephen coming into the world, it's this weird feeling because about two weeks ago, we understand we have about this five-week window of when he could literally come at any time. And so what that means is there's no such thing as a casual phone call from my wife anymore. Right? Like she'll call me at the end of you know, the school day when she's driving home. Like that's, that's the norm. But even then, as soon as I see a phone call from her, is it time, right? Like immediately, right? You know, it's an emotional thing, you know, a lot of anxiety. Like, all right, bags packed, let's go kind of thing. It's not like, oh, hey, how you doing? It's like, no, the first question, is it now? And so you know, to live in this constant anticipation is a little bit exhausting. And the anxiety, the anticipation that can come with that, right? It's not sustainable. Fortunately, there will be an end to that. But here's, here's what I've realized. To be impatient is to believe that having control is possible. To be, think about those moments, right? For me, a lot of times it's sitting in traffic, driving in traffic. To be impatient is to believe that having control is actually possible when it's not. See, the discipline of waiting is an act of faith. The discipline of waiting is always an act of faith. See, we live in anticipation, but we allow God to lead. We live in anticipation. That's good. We're excited about what's to come, what could come, but we allow God to lead. I love, there's a scripture that this is, speaks this exact truth, Romans chapter eight, verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So God says hope for what you don't have. Hope for what, another translation says, hope for what you do not see, but wait for it patiently. I wanna spend the rest of our time thinking about, again, the, the rich opportunity we have in this gathering because we're going to listen to a song, you know, a video as well, um, that I just want us to rest in, right? To reflect on God's words for us and really find some stillness within a Sunday morning experience. But before we do that, I wanna read a quote from uh, a guy named Mark Galley. Here's what he said. Gathered worship, that's what we're doing right now, gathered worship can become a place of self-reliance and striving where we seek to achieve a particular spiritual mood or experience by our own effort. Notice what he says. Instead, Jesus calls us to give up our faith in our own spiritual striving and abide in him. 
I mean, all of us at some point have come into a Sunday morning uh, church experience and said, I hope I get something out of it. And so we believe that if we achieve a certain emotion, if we walk, with, walk away with something tangible, it's like, okay, church was worth it. No, the only thing that makes it worth it is if we come to this place with a primary desire to cling to Christ. I'm coming to meet with him, my Savior, my Father, the, one who I can, the only one who I can ultimately find rest in. More of him, less of me. And so if we meet with God, whether or not the, the music is average or the message is terrible, if we find God in that moment, right, an unexpected time, it's always worth it because we have the opportunity to cling to him. So this song, I actually played this song, uh, Be Still, um, it's a video as well. Two years ago at the Union Campus, I was the Union Campus pastor before I stepped into this role, and what I wanted to communicate to the Union Campus specifically in the context of First Church is before we ever decide to move, before we ever decide to go to take action as a church, first, we must always stop. We must choose to be still. And so as we just take this time to hopefully find some stillness, reflect on God's words to us, I pray that you will find rest. And then after this, the, the, the worship team is going to sing, uh, Great Are You, Lord. And, you know, if you, you're wondering, like, where are the rest of the, the instruments, the band? Like, why is there only two people on stage? It's because we wanted to simplify things as much as possible this week. There's no extra, right? There's no loud. Some of you are like, oh, that's great. Great, it's not loud, right? So, this is the in-between space, right? Kind of the, the, the simplified strip down where we just, we, we find God. We realize that he's all around us. And so I... As the band sings uh, the song, Greater You, Lord, after this video, I want to encourage you, if you've never made a decision to follow Christ with your life, to come down front. Love to have that conversation with you. Get baptized today. It's the, the thing we celebrate more than anything else. Change life through surrender to Jesus Christ. Or if you need prayer, there's a prayer team uh, to the doors to your right. Prayer room where you can spend as much time as necessary. Uh, seeking them out and saying, hey, I need prayer in this area. I need God's help to, to help me to stop. So use this time uh, to reflect and to find rest.
Still.